All we have is 3% of the Earth's surface that is available to house us, to feed us, and to house and feed all of the beings who are currently feeding us. So given that fact, you realize very quickly that we're on a suicide mission because we're going to run out of planet. Hello and welcome to the Innovative Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. On the show, I interview peak performing innovators in the creative, social impact, and earth conservation spaces. I also bring you ideas and techniques that you can grab and use to set goals, create, and unlock your potential for changing yourself and the world. And now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the Innovative Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. Thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled to welcome back Kathy Stevens of the Catskill Animal Sanctuary. Kathy is the founder and the executive director of the Catskill Animal Sanctuary. She, it's one of the world's leading rescues for farmed animals and centers of advocacy for vegan living. You know that's catnip to me. She's a former Huffington Post blogger, the author of Where the Blind Horse Sings and Animal Camp, Reflections on a Decade of Love, Hope, and Veganism at Catskill Animal Sanctuary. She's a speaker and frequent contributor to anthologies on animal rights, animal sentience, and veganism. She lives on the grounds of Catskill Animal Sanctuary and kisses cows every day. Kathy, thank you so much for coming back. Welcome. Isolde, thanks for having me back. Happy to be here on this gorgeous day. I, I'm thrilled that the sun is out again. That's amazing. Uh, so, you know, it's funny. The last thing it says in your bio and in, in the introduction is that you kiss cows every day. But right now you're also getting the opportunity to perhaps kiss some sheep. You just mentioned something before we started recording that you have just done a giant sheep rescue. I would love it before we talk about anything else. Talk a little bit about how that happened, what the steps were and how the sheep are doing now. Well, I can't talk about a lot of the details because it's winding its way through the court system. The owner uh, is electing not to surrender. So, oh my goodness, um, that can often be a complicated process. But we 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 became aware of a situation and have been collaborating with the SPCA um, and, of course, the assistant district attorney is now involved. But there were forty sheep who were originally part of a larger flock and um, were not, essentially were not being fed. And oh my goodness. we accepted the 40, uh, none were neutered. So we suspect all of the females are pregnant. Oh my goodness. And um, we have, Emergency care, you never know until you welcome animals You never, and can start doing blood work and can start doing fecals, what kind of condition they're in. We could visibly see that they were emaciated. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the vast majority of them had a body score of one, which is, which is the lowest possible score indicating prolonged um, starvation. Mm. And... Uh, a lot of them had debilitating hoof infections. One of them had a life-threatening hoof uh, infection and is at Cornell University right now with her baby. 
Um, But it wasn't until we started doing fecals that we realized, oh my God, these guys are being literally eaten alive with worms that, and, and they were, and a test called a FAMACHA score, Mm -hmm. which tests, which just indicates a level of anemia confirmed that they are absolutely overloaded with parasites. Some of them are requiring um, blood transfusions from our little on-site blood donor sheep. (laughs) Wow. And um, it is, these big rescues are affirming. They are exhausting. They're exhausting physically. They're exhausting psychologically. They are unbelievably costly. So it's a, it's a challenge in a year when so many nonprofits are challenged financially to, to have made this decision. But um, it was ethically what we felt like we had to do. No other nearby sanctuary was in a position at the moment to, at the time to step up. Um, so here we are uh, working our fannies off and preparing for births and trying to heal the most vulnerable. And yeah, that's what we're doing. Incredible. Uh, an atrocity that you all are helping avert and stop in I'm, can I volunteer? I'd like to volunteer. Uh, you know, th- this is one of those times when when you hear about the conditions these poor creatures have been living in and some probably died in, you immediately think to yourself, what can I do? How can I help? And I, I would love if you would uh, talk a little bit about, about that, how, how you, you know, you're volunteer-based. You're doing this as much as possible and you're doing this mostly with volunteers, from what I understand. How does somebody get involved to to be part of the process to help? If if there's donations that you need, if there's blankets that you need, if there's you know people that you need, what do you need in order to keep this good work going? Well, uh, thank you for asking that. Um, the the work is you know it's 40 animals but it's 40 big animals mm-hmm. and the process of keeping them in as clean an environment as possible while also keeping our animals safe means incredibly strict quarantine procedures involving suits and gloves and booties and we had to rent a big dumpster so that they're poop so that their feces is literally hauled off of our property. Um, So that means that we are need wanting to rely on volunteers even more than we normally do because our staff is taking care of these very sick animals. We just can't have a lot of people in and out for for the safety of our own healthy animals. Right. Um, so if people are within, you know, an hour or two of us and have the time to to 
volunteer on a regular schedule. It's it, we the the one the once in a while volunteers honestly is older for something like this aren't particularly helpful because there's a learning curve. Mm-hmm, for sure. Training. But if somebody has a half day a week, you know, you know, and say I can commit to four hours every Saturday afternoon, or I can commit to four hours every Wednesday morning, then absolutely reach out directly to me, Kathy at casanctuary.org, and I would be delighted to funnel you to the proper person. That's one thing. Now, it's hard work. So if you don't like physical work, you know, there might be a different way to get involved. Um it, it's also it's also joyful work because we've got a beautiful team of human beings and of course hundreds of happy and loving animals. So you're surrounded by that wonderful energy when you are working your fanny off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other piece is yeah, I mean we've we've our vet bills alone for this. Um, are thirteen thousand dollars and we've only had them for a very short amount of time Mm. so the costs of bales of hay every day and bags and bags and bags of shavings every day and quarantine suits and medical is going to be you know in a few weeks in the tens of thousands of dollars so monetary gifts are always deeply appreciated those two things are what we need right now we've got the supplies um you know we've we've got that it's really it's really the financial support and the and the labor that we could certainly use help with Well, I'm going to put all of the information for that and your email address in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to be involved and you are, as Kathy said, within an hour or two of the sanctuary, by gum, go get involved. This is one of the times when when we pull together, we can really actually help instead of just thinking about it and going, I'm going to, I want to. This is something you could do right now. I feel like I'm doing some sort of a uh, telethon for you, <laughs> uh, and that, I'm really, that is, we can do that telethon. you know, I, and maybe we should, maybe we should do some sort of a thing. Uh, but that's for another time. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk about this because I knew this was something that that's just happened, and and if it's okay with you, I'd like to sort of make a not a detour, but hang a hang a left ter- at Albuquerque. Right. Hang a left at Albuquerque and chat with you about the. We started talking about this very briefly the last time you were here and then schedules and time and whatever got away from us. And so uh, we started very briefly, as I said, and I want to dig in. We, we've just chatted up, chatted about the microcosm helping individual critters. But then let's let's pull out a little bit like we're a NASA satellite. Yes, I worked at NASA for 20 years. Uh, like we're a NASA satellite and look at the macrocosm. Let's look at the Earth as a whole and look at uh, animal animal welfare and veganism and the climate crisis. I would love to get your take because I know you have one about how animal welfare and specifically the the vegan lifestyle and commitment to that relate to and could affect climate change sure um it, it nobody's 
intending to harm when we eat animals, right? It's culture, it's habit, it's family, it's tradition. People don't know what to put on their plate. Um, you know, we're not intentionally trying to harm, as I'm sure I said in our last conversation. And yet we are harming beings who want their lives as much as we want ours and who experience every emotion we do. Mm -hmm. um, we're harming ourselves because we now know that a lot of those products aren't healthy for us, whether it's because we weren't intended to consume them in the first place in the case of milk, or because they were are so pumped with either antibiotics and or our filthy products because of the filthy environment in which animals are raised. The third thing is, of course, the impact of our choice to eat animals and, and animal products on the environment and, and more narrowly on climate change. In general, in terms of its environmental impact, um, animal agriculture is around 15 to 20 times more resource intensive than a plant-based diet. So eating animals is 50, requires roughly, I'm generalizing by looking at a bunch of statistics and doing some math, but generally 15 to 20 times as much land, as much energy, as much water. You see estimates that um, it takes between 2,500 and 5,000 gallons of water to make a pound of beef, as opposed mm -hmm. to a few, a few dozen gallons to make a pound of potatoes or apples or blueberries. Sure. And, you know, when you dig into the research, growing animals to feed humans is the leading cause of virtually every environmental challenge we face, whether it's water usage or energy usage or water pollution, or the erosion of topsoil, or species extinction, or the, the, the destruction of our vitally ecological, ecologically important Amazon rainforest, no matter where you look, animal agriculture is wreaking havoc. Well, we 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 use our land. We we take down the Amazon, for example, to graze cattle or to grow corn and soy to feed cows, chickens, and pigs, as opposed to using far less land. You know, the animals in that sense are the middleman, are the delivery system for the food that should be being fed directly to us. And I'll never forget seeing an activity that, that I love because you can, because a six-year-old can understand it. And it's called the Earth as an Apple. And in this activity that can be Googled, you demonstrate to your audience um, the a, a, a pretty profound truth about the state of where we are. You, you take an apple, it's, it represents the earth, 
and and you say, look, the earth can't expand. It isn't physically getting bigger to accommodate the increasing number of human beings on it. We're expected to be 10 billion people by mid-century. The earth isn't growing to keep pace with that. And so you, you start to carve away at the earth. You first take take three quarters of the apple and put it aside because all we have is 25% of the earth's surface. And everybody knows this, little kids learn this. 25% of the earth's surface that has to house all of us, all humans, 7 billion, 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion, 11 billion, it's not getting any bigger, the earth. And all the food that we need to feed all of us. But then part of that 25%, that available 20%, 25% is too hot. Part of it's too cold. Part of it's too frozen. Part of it is already taken up by humans. Part of it is already taken up of huge quantities of it by infrastructure. And once you start to, to slice away, all we have is 3% of the earth's surface that is available to house us, to feed us, and to house and feed all of the beings who are currently feeding us. So given that fact, you realize very quickly that we're on a suicide mission because we're gonna run out of planet. So isn't it then not only is it an ethical imperative in my view, it's also for our very own survival, for the survival of people younger than we are, the following generations, the ones who will come after us, that, that if it takes 15 to 20 times the amount of land, of water, of energy to feed um, a meat eater as it does to feed a vegan, then don't we all want to be vegan? So that's just the land use. And that has nothing to do with climate change specifically, which is an even more ominous picture because we all talk about uh, carbon monoxide and, and how carbon monoxide is the, is the leading cause of climate change when in fact, um, nitrous oxide and methane, which are emitted by either by food animals or by the process of growing them by the fertilizer, for example, that we use um, in massive quantities. Those two, and I can't ever remember which which is which. I think I think this is right, but people should look it up to to make sure I'm not making a mistake. Uh, nitrous oxide stays in the atmosphere 25 times longer than CO2 and methane, I believe, stays in the atmosphere 300 times longer than CO2. And so there is an extraordinary relationship between climate change and growing animals to feed humans. And then when you think about it, when you, th when you think about the CO2, impact 
of animal agriculture. You've got uh, all the energy required to run a slaughterhouse. You've got all the energy required to um, get truck these animals vast dis distances in trucks that go up and down our highways. And so the, the impact is grave and huge and it's not talked about and it's not looked at in any serious way at all by the policymakers because because a it's uncomfortable we don't want to rock the boat we don't want to challenge the status quo b because because the politicians get so much funding from these big corporations and so we're we're not looking we're not looking at, we are avoiding having this conversation. And there are scholars and thinkers and writers and speakers who say, look, if we could get our heads around this, if we could get to the root of so much of what is wrong, of so much of what is the cause of climate change and, and have us at the policy level. And if the policymakers won't do it, then have it start at the grassroots level. And if we could collectively say as a species, okay, we get it, we get it. Our best chance for turning this around is to make a shift to a plant-based diet. Then maybe, maybe we'd have a shot at leaving the earth at a semblance of what it has been for us for future generations, but we're, we're but we're very very quickly running out of time. As anybody whose eyes are open can see, just based on one disaster after another, after another, after another. And I'm sorry that was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, I love it. I love 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 it. When I worked at NASA, I called that Apple activity. How much soil is there? Because I worked in. Uh, in earth science and specifically soil science. And I love that activity because it does show it concretely so and viscerally. Oh, and I do. I understand it. Yeah. If you've ever seen the apple activity with the with the earth looking like an apple, that's mine. <laughs> that's if you've ever Googled it, that's that's uh my husband's oh, illustration. Is that right? Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's it's very funny that you quoted that that activity to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I love that activity and I know it well. And the thing about it is the thing that we don't really uh that we aren't really talking about is this notion of if we were to make a change, the earth would respond. And that's something that we don't talk about very often. We sort of talk about the doom and gloom of it, I think. And we're not talking so much about, there's a wonderful uh, soil scientist named Daniel Hillel, and, and they did experiments. They took uh, the three sisters, you know, the squash and the beans, and, and they, they planted hardy ground cover. And on some plots of soil, they planted other stuff, uh, the three sisters on these, and they left them be and even very, uh, very sick soil, I will say, almost immediately started getting better. The nutrients started aligning, the, the critters started coming back, all of these things. And so if we make a change, if we were to do that, then we would see, it, it would take like six months, but we would see results. However, as I mentioned to you before we started this chat, 
are I don't think we're changing significantly enough. I don't think we are changing enough and we're not making those taking those steps to get enough volatile organic compounds out of out of the stratosphere. We're not doing enough. And so I come back to yes, going vegan, doing that is great. What is the first step to someone who is scared, to someone who thinks they can't, to someone, what is your guidance to someone who's going, I know I want to do something, I just really, I'm afraid of this. What do you say? Well, it's too bad we're recording now, as opposed to a few days ago. We, I would say, because we have a, we are piloting a new vegan support program. Uh, but it's already started. Uh, it's called New Leaf, if anybody would like to look it all up. Um, uh, and we will be, this is a pilot, so we will be relaunching in earnest in the new year. But I would say to get support, there are a lot of vegan coaches, a whole lot. There are a lot of vegan mentoring programs out there. There are vegan mentors out there. Um, and we, you know, so many people will make an attempt on their own, but either get bored, get overwhelmed, um, aren't sure what to do, are on a budget and don't know how to do it affordably. And as I always say, rice and beans are one of the cheapest and healthiest <laughs> ways you can eat um, um, or, you know, and on and on. So I would say that if you can find a support community, um, that that's a great way to start. But even just some, sometimes the support can be as simple as going to YouTube mm -hmm. and looking at videos of people making good and simple things. And the other thing I would say, Zolda, is that it's easy to be vegan at breakfast and lunch, right? <laughs> it's so easy to be, it's, it's just no, you know, there's, there are bagels and there is oatmeal and there are wraps and there are, you know, salads and soups and sandwiches. It's dinner that uh, trips people up. Mm. So, so go to YouTube or get a coach that's that's um, or or check out our program that that will be running again in a couple of months. And what's interesting about that one is that it it combines uh, classes with group coaching, with a Facebook community for support, with talks from me and others, with videos of the animals, with information about the ethics and the health. It's just a very, very, very robust program if people are interested. But there's so many ways to start, depending on all kinds of things, how much time you have, whether you like to cook, whether you're on a budget, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And, Not and one way, no, way. for sure. Absolutely. And I'm going to give a little plug to my one of my other podcasts, which is called The Vegan Life, <laughs> and I, where yes. I talk about where I talk about what it's like to be a vegan in my 50s. It's, you know, some people say veganism is a young person's game. I disagree. I think you probably disagree. Neither one of us is 14. And that's OK. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I feel like when when I'm listening to you talk, I feel like it's 
it's never it's never too late. It is you can make one decision today. Try a vegan meal. Do Try you, something. Do you have Isolde, we in this pilot, and I know this because I spoke, I did a Zoom meeting um, on the night we launched. There were um, two people in this pilot to learn how to be vegan in their 70s. All right. Yes. That that's fantastic. And I love that because because this is something that you can start at any age. And frankly, I think you see amazing results. One of the results that I saw when I went vegetarian back in the 80s was the notion of a greater connection between me and the critters I was no longer eating. And I, I, I it was it it blew me away that that was a sort of a byproduct of deciding against eating cows is that I started thinking of cows, pigs, sheep as potential friends, not as something to put on my plate. And so I'm wondering if you could talk, I know you have to run, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that in in the macrocosm, this connection between bipeds like us and quadrupeds and you know beings who fly beings who swim there's a connection there there's a vital connection that that is i i to me it's spiritual it might not be to someone who who doesn't have that as part of their lives but i was wondering if you could talk about that connection for a minute and and how does it form what do you think it is and how do we deepen it so that we are more aware beings on this planet uh, I think it is love. I think love is a universal, I don't think it is. Love is a universal language that transcends everything. Gender, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, species. And we know this, some of your listeners would literally give their lives for their dog or cat if their dog or cat were in jeopardy. Um, For sure. Some of your listeners have spent more money than is smart (laughs) to (laughs) save their dog or cat from an illness or an injury. And, And yet, because we live in the kind of culture we do, when we say we love animals, we often mean I love dogs and cats because that's often the only animal we've had an opportunity to know. But when, but in answer to your question, how, wait, let me back up for a minute. And and yet, if you work with other kinds of animals, whether it's animals who are caged in zoos or animals who have the opportunity to come to a sanctuary or, or with wildlife, then you know for certain that they have every emotion we do, including an extraordinary capacity to feel deeply and to love. And so I would say in terms of how to deepen that, I would say to people, visit an animal sanctuary. Because when a cow licks your face, or when a chicken falls asleep in your lap, or when a pig runs to you when you call his name and flops over for a belly rub, and then in response to the belly rub says, like, thank you. Mm. That's all the confirmation that you need that 
really fundamentally we're all the same. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> and mic drop. That's that. Kathy, I, I again could keep you here for hours and hours and hours because I just love talking with you. And I, I love the way you you view the world and the put you put your money where your mouth is. And I love that, too. Uh, I would love it if you wouldn't mind. It, it, give someone who is listening uh, the links, how to, how to find the Catskill Animal Sanctuary online, how to follow you on social, just so that we have it said out loud because people learn differently. If you wouldn't mind, I would love it if you'd do that. Yeah, the, sure. Thanks for asking. The easiest way, all our accounts and handles and links, et cetera, are, can all easily be accessed on our website. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, um, and they can all be accessed at our website, casanctuary.org. Perfect. And I'll be, I'll be putting all of those links right in the show notes page. So you're going to be able to find them if you need them very easily. Kathy, as always, so grateful that you took the time and you may have forgotten that I ask a silly question at the end of every episode and I'm going to ask you again. Uh, and the question is this, if you had an airplane that could skywrite anything for the whole world to see, what would you say? Oh, what did I say last time? <laughs> um, oh gosh. Love is what matters is what comes to mind. And I believe that's exactly what you said last time. <laughs> is it? Consistency I is queen. I love it. <laughs> Kathy, thank you once again for joining me on the show. I would love before you do the pilot in the next in the beginning of the year for you or maybe the chef to come back on the show and talk about that so we can get the word out to to many more people to get involved and to learn. And it's interesting actually. I want, before I let you go, I'm going to tell you a quick little story. Vegandale was on here in, in, on Randall's Island here in New York City just a few weeks ago and one of the people was uh, sort of griping a little that all the people she talked to at Vegandale were not vegan and she was upset because she wanted more vegans to have come and I said no 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 to me that's great that means they're pre-vegans you know they're curious enough about it to get excited about an entirely vegan event and go and that means the tide is changing and absolutely I've stopped going I've stopped talking at um animal rights and vegan conferences. It's like, why am I going to these and talking to people who are already on the same page? Preaching to no, the choir, that's, right? That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm hoping for with this show, with this conversation, that more people will get excited and interested in seeing what it's like and getting involved in sanctuaries. Kathy Stevens, thank you once again for being here. I appreciate you taking the time. Azolda, you're a wonderful interviewer. I loved this and uh, take care and Happy to come back anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Kathy. This is Isolde Trachtenberg for the Innovative Mindset Podcast, reminding you, as always, to be bold, be creative, and most of all, be kind. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're new, and it would mean the world to me if you told a friend about it. 
Today's episode was produced by Isolde Trachtenberg and is copyright 2022. As always, please remember this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results, although we can always hope. Until next time, remember to be bold, be creative, and most of all, be kind. Thank you.